excited for the reading of the word this morning and what God has to say. Lots of fun things and great things happening today at PLC, so I'm glad you're all here to be part of it. And our kindergarten class is from JK to uh, a SK to grade one, JK to grade one, and then our grade one to grade eight class there. They're getting together, and it's good to see so many little faces there going out to their Sunday school class. They're going to have a great time this morning. Amen. First Corinthians chapter three and starting at verse number five. First Corinthians chapter three. This morning. Actually I'm gonna read just verse six, and then we'll skip over to Mark chapter sixteen, verse fifteen. First Corinthians chapter three, verse six says, I planted the seed in your hearts. And Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, I planted the seed in your heart. Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And turn with me to Mark 16 and 15 real quick. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. This is Jesus giving his last orders to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. After his resurrection, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Look at your neighbor and say, go, go, go into all the world. Why don't we pray and ask God to speak to our hearts this morning. Jesus, we open your word to touch our hearts and touch our minds and to speak to us, Father, I pray for your message to go forth. And the word that you gave to me, Lord, let me deliver it the way you want me to. And this, this morning, I pray for anointing, Lord, upon myself, my mouth, to speak your word, Lord. Anoint our ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, help us not to just be hearers of the word, God, but endures of it in Jesus' name. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of God's word this morning. Go, go. It's an action word. Um, it's symbolized by the color green. Green means go. When you see green and you're at a stoplight, you know it's your turn to proceed, to go. Uh, go means to act, to move on a course from one place to another, to follow a certain procedure. And there's many ways that we use this word, but it all implies some kind of an action, some kind of direction. And, uh, you know, it basically means to just start moving, to go. A synonym, synonym for the word go would be advance, progress, to come, or to proceed. The antonym for the word go is to stay, to stop, to remain, to wait, perhaps. Uh, and so it's, it's no wonder that when Jesus was trying to motivate the church into action, he told his disciples to go. 
In fact, he used the word go a number of different times in a number of different ways. One of them was go and be reconciled to your brother. You know, if there's, a, if there's an issue between you and another person, Jesus said, before you present your worship to God, go and be reconciled to them. Another place, he said, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with everybody that is in your circle, basically. Everybody that you come in contact with, live at peace with them, as much as it depends upon you. And I know reconciliation takes two. It takes two. It takes one to forgive. It takes two to be reconciled. And you can forgive someone but not be reconciled to them. I understand that. But Jesus wants us to go and make that attempt. He doesn't want us to walk around with unforgiveness in our heart. Unforgiveness is the plug in the bathtub. It stops up everything. It's the, uh, it's the clogged drain that won't, won't clear. Uh, some places, they don't even bother to repair it. They just bag it up. You ever been to a restaurant, go to the bathroom, and they've just put a big garbage bag over the facilities? That tells you that there's something wrong with the pipes, and they're not going to bother to fix it. Or, or maybe they can't fix it yet. But that's the image I get with unforgiveness in your life. It's something that's bagged up, stopped up, and unuseful. It's taking up space. It's unsightly. It can't be functional in your life. And so Jesus said, go and get that dealt with. Reconcile as much as you can. Deal with the problem. Deal with the issue. He told his disciples to go and sin no more. When Jesus was faced with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, Jesus looked at her and said, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. And, and what, the, what the disciples, or, or not the disciples, but the priests and the Pharisees were trying to get was Jesus to enact a, a, a condemning consequence on her life to stone her to death. And Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to instruct her to go, get up, take action, and sin no more. Sin no more. But probably this last instruction that Jesus gave before he ascended is the most important. Because he, sim- he signaled to the church that the church is not to be something that's stationary, but something that's moving and mobilizing. Unlike any other religion in the world, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the only that is actively evangelizing new converts, new followers. Jesus told his church to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. One of the biggest issues that the the, uh, first century Rome and the Greeks and the Egyptians had with the church, and even the Jews, they didn't really have a problem with the fact that there was this second sect of Jews worshiping a dead carpenter. They didn't, they didn't really have an issue with that. They thought that was kind of weird, kind of strange, but to each his own. Rome was very open-minded and inclusive. They were, uh, as long as you paid taxes, mind you, right? Kind of like not, not too far from our governments today. They're pretty open-minded and inclusive. As long as you wave the right flags and pay the right taxes, you're, you're accepted in the, the group. But the problem early Rome and and Greece and all these countries had with Christianity was that Christianity came in and turned the city upside down. When, when, When the gospel moved into the neighborhood, 
the idol shops closed down because the Ten Commandments declares, thou shalt never know the gods before me, so that put a stop to the idol making. Uh, it's not uncommon if you look at early American revivals in the history of revivals, read books by people like Leonard Ravenhill and, and others who, who maybe reference to those early American revivals. It wasn't uncommon for a church to go through a revival and for the bars and the taverns in the city to dry up and go out of business because the church made such an impact on the community that it changed the behavior of the city around it. The church is one of the only institutions that actively moves into a neighborhood and changes it from the inside out. Now, I don't believe that the church should be so much protesting on the street, holding up signs or picketing, or I think we should do our job as citizens to uh, call our, our, our representatives and make, make our case known, do due do, do, do diligence in those ways, vote right and Vote according to your conscience. I think that's very good and right as part of, part as a, a citizen of a of a government or a local city or town. But I think the change that the church implements is far better done from the inside out rather from the outside in. I I, I think it's a bit of a waste of time to stand on a parliament step or a, a city city hall step and raise a flag or a banner and say we protest this new bill or this new move. I think it's much better for us to get to work and go into all the world like Jesus said and not stand in line with picketing and, and protesting but go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our mission. That's our goal. That's why we're here. We're to go and preach the good news. The word gospel literally means the good news. The good news. And we're not to stay to stop or to remain in the same place. We are to go, to proceed, to advance, to move, to go into all the world and preach. It's the green light. It's the launch button. It's the call to action. It's the call to movement. It's the call to forward motion. And if you examine your life and, and take stock and inventory and ask yourself, am I going and preaching the gospel? then the answer to that question will reveal what kind of disciple of Jesus you are. Maybe it's a disciple that has stopped, stayed, or remained, or is getting started, or is wanting to get started but unsure of where to go. Those, those are all good things to, to, to know in your mind and, and evaluate. And, and one thing we need to do is we need to take action. Whenever you realize where you are, wherever you are in the spectrum of your walk with God, then it's imperative on you to now take a step forward. And today's message is all about taking steps forward. But, you know, before you, you, you make a step, you often need to know why you're doing it or where you're going. So let's answer the question, why? Why does the church need to go? Why can't the church stay? I mean, Rome was content with the church having their buildings and having their, their meetings as long as they didn't pull people in from the other religions. As long as you didn't convert, you can convert a Roman to Christianity as long as the Roman still went to the temple and paid tribute to Caesar. 
The Roman was allowed to come and be a part of the church as long as they still had a, a, a shrine in their home to their Roman deities. It was a, they were allowed to do both, but, but of being a follower of Jesus means that you exclude all the other gods in your life. Because Jesus said, you know, I am, I, I am who I am and there is none else beside me. Essentially, he said that in the book of Revelations, echoing what he had said in the Old Testament as Jehovah. I am the Lord God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am who I am, and, and there is none else beside me. There is no God beside me, so you can't be worshiping some false God and me. You've got to worship me and me alone. So why why does the church need to go? Why can't the church stay? I mean, why can't we just, you know, come together, gather, eat muffins, talk about the Bible, and, and uh, drink coffee, and have good worship services, and, and if someone wants to come in and join us, they can come in, and they can do their thing, and then they can go home and do their thing there. Why, why can't we just add Jesus to the pantheon of, of gods of the world? Why? What's the urgency? What's the big deal? I mean, why sign up for something if your life is already packed full of activities and to-do lists and, and uh, uh, lessons to attend and school to finish and work to worry about? Why, why add something else to your schedule? Paul answers that question in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The, the, one of the motivating factors for the church is we have the fear of God on our lives. Paul says, therefore, because we know the fear of God, we know the reverence of God, we know the, 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 the respect that is due to God, we persuade others. He uses that word persuade as if to convince and bring an argument and, and not be satisfied with the answer no, but continually come back like a bad salesman and say, are you sure you don't want to reconsider? Paul says, because we know the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Because we have a conviction that God is a righteous God. Now, fear is not the same in the sense of like a phobia. Although it's a similar, it's a, a word related it's not like a fear of spiders, but it's a respect. It's a, a knowing that God is a just God. Knowing that God will not overlook a sin. Knowing that God will, is a righteous God. He cannot look sin in the face and go, well, we'll just let it slide this time. By the way, that's not a good God, nor is it a good judge. None of you would say, a judge is a good judge by letting a criminal like a, a pedophile or a serial rapist off the hook and say, well, we'll let it slide this time. We would never look at that judge and say, wow, he's really merciful. We would look at him and say, okay, what did he get paid to make that kind of a judgment? What, what kind of corruption is going on behind the scenes? Because a good judge will call out, the sin and, and say, no, there's something that has to be done. This cannot just go unpunished. This has to be dealt with. And so it is with God. We know that God is a just God. We know that God is a righteous God. And he will one day judge the earth and all who are in it. There, there is coming a day where God is going to call into accountability every thought, every action, every word spoken.
And so Paul says, because we have the fear of God, we have the respect knowing that God is a God of his word. And if he says something, he's going to do it. And there is coming a day. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. That's the mercy of God, by the way. Uh, the Bible says that it's of the mercies of God that we are not consumed. Have you ever wondered, you know, well, I, you know, I, I committed that sin, but I never really, I never experienced any lightning bolt, no punishment, no hammer came down on me. That's where you lift your hands and you say, thank God for your mercy. Because while I defied you to your face, you let me live another day. You let me breathe another day. You did not treat me according to how I deserve to be treated. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every single morning. Because it's of the Lord's mercies that I was not consumed yesterday. When I made a mistake, when I not just made a mistake, but when I willfully sinned, God did not pay me according to that sin. That's the mercy of God. So because I had that conviction, Paul says, because we have the conviction, that's one of the motivating factors for us to go. Because there's people in the world that are committing acts of sin, ignorantly, without knowledge, without understanding that a God is going to hold them accountable someday. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. He said, to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received. Freely give. If you're sitting on a chair in this church this morning, if you've joined us online by way of Zoom, you have freely received something you did not pay for. You have freely received something. And I'm not talking about the singing or the wonderful tribute to Father's Day this morning. But I'm talking about that moving of the spirit you felt while the worship was going on. That was something you freely received. I'm talking about the forgiveness that you earned or you received, didn't really earn it, but it was given to you as a gift when you repented of your sins. When you baptized in Jesus' name and your sins were washed away, that, that was something you freely received. You did not pay for that. You did not pay for it. Someone else paid the price. The reason why going down in water, which is kind of an odd thing if you think about it, and someone calling uh, the, the name of a dead uh, preacher from 2000, thousand years ago over your life which we know he's more than just a dead preacher right he's God in the flesh manifested and he rose from the dead the reason that is powerful and and effective in your life and needful in your life is because Jesus paid the price for your sins on the cross he took your place he took the punishment in his body on the cross the bible says he nailed your condemnation he nailed the record of your sin to the cross when the nails went through his hands and his feet he allowed that that condemnation that record to be nailed there when he took the crown of thorns on his head, the, he took the pressures of life. Have you ever felt like when you're stressed and pressured, it just wraps around your head? Headaches and stress headaches. And there's no, there's, it's, it's not an accident. They took a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Jesus told a parable once about seed. And he said, the word of God is like seed. And when it was sown into somebody's life, thorns grew up and choked out the seed. And then Jesus identified what those thorns were. He said the thorns were the cares of life and the pursuit of riches. 
Thorns represent the cares of life. In the garden when man sinned, God kicked him out of the garden and said, instead of prosperity, fruit just coming out of the ground when you plant the seed. When you plant a seed, a weed is going to be right beside that seed and it's going to choke out what you planted, making it difficult. From the sweat of your brow, Adam, you're going to pull something out of the earth. For all the gardeners in the room, you know exactly what I mean. You plant that tomato, you plant that squash, and before it's even produced a fruit, a fungus grows up the side of that thing and kills it dead before you even get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Most aggravating thing in the world, because then you got to go buy a new one. And if you can't, because they're all sold out, you have to buy store-bought tomatoes, which is a crime in the summer. <laughs> Why? Because the cares of life grew up and choked out the fruit. It's no mistake that they put a crown of thorns on the head of Jesus Christ. Because it was the cares of life symbolized wrapped around his brow, wrapped around his head. And the Bible says that they took a rod and they beat that crown into his head. They didn't just place it there nicely. They beat it until the thorns pierced the skin, maybe even as far as to piercing the bone of his skull. Who knows how strong they were, but it inflicted much pain upon him. Jesus took the cares of life upon you. That's why he said, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Every time you lift your hands, you're lifting the crown of thorns off your hand and, and throwing it at his feet because he cares for you. Every time you pray, you're taking off that crown of thorns. Why do I have to take off that crown of thorns? Jesus said, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. That's what the world worries about. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you because I take off that crown of pressure and I lay it at the feet of Jesus because he took it for me. Freely you have received. You've received that as a free gift, so you ought to freely give. There's something, the why. Why do I need to go? Why do I need to go? Because I understand the fear of the Lord, but I've also received something free for free. And since I've received it for free, I need to be a dispenser of the grace that I have been given. I cannot be the dead sea. The Dead Sea in Israel has one river flowing into it, no rivers flowing out of it. As a consequence, it is the saltiest lake, body of water, sea in the world. The salt content is so high, nothing can live in the Dead Sea. If there is only grace of God flowing into your life and not grace of God flowing out of your life, your life is like the Dead Sea. Nothing spiritual can really grow in your life if you don't have an outflow. A healthy body of water has inflow and outflow. If our life isn't flowing in with the grace of God and freely flowing out, it spiritually dies. Freely you've received. Freely give. Doctors sometimes say things like, do you want the good news first or the bad news first? And that's kind of like the gospel. The gospel is good news, but there is bad news associated. The bad news is Jesus, the, the bad news is Jesus, uh, sorry, the good news is Jesus paid the price 
The bad news is there's a price that needs to be paid. And if you don't let Jesus pay the price for you, you're going to have to pay the price yourself. And the Bible says the wages, the payment, the, the, what you receive for sin, for missing the mark of the call of God on your life, is death. Spiritual death. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Hades, Gehenna, whatever you want to, whatever you want to title it as according to scripture, that's what that is. It's an eternal place where you go if you want to pay for your sins yourself. Why would God, a loving God, send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. God went to hell so nobody else would have to go there themselves. God gave the way out. He paved it. He called it the narrow gate. And then he's told his church, I want you to go and tell the world. Why does the church need to go? Because the church is now the mouthpiece of God. To tell the world there is a way out of the impending destruction that hangs over your eternity. There is a way out. And the mercy of God and the love of God should be conveyed through the agency called the church. The onus is not on God. The onus is on the church. God has placed the urgency, the call, the, the desperation of his heart on the heart of the church. If we would turn to him and turn our face toward Jesus, uh, we would hear him say go. If we would open up our ears to him, we would hear him say go. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it's the love of Christ that controls us. It's the love of Christ. There, if you're connected to Jesus, if you're living for him, there is a love that comes from him that should fill you. And it should fill you for those around you. It should fill you for those that are near to you. I remember reading a book about Corey Ten Boom. If you've ever read anything about her or heard anything about her, she was a woman, an Austrian woman who was put into Nazi concentration camps for, for trying to save Jews from Nazi Germany and smuggling them out of the country. And when she was in the concentration camp, there were a number of guards who did unspeakable, horrible things to them. And, and as she survived, her sister Betsy died in, in the, uh, the concentration camp that they were in. And when she left... Germany and she got out she felt a call of God to go back to those camps where she was imprisoned and begin a ministry of healing and so she felt this call of God to restore the people of Austria restore the people of Germany to heal and to she actually was part of a group that turned those concentration camps into camps of healing and in the barracks where they lived, they would put flowers in the windows. They put window boxes on all the windows of those concentration camp huts. And they would have camp meetings and prayer meetings. And they would, just because the, the country was so torn and so broken by the unspeakable atrocities that were done in that camp. And she would go from church to church preaching about the love of God that carried her through. And she would talk her amazing stories, miracles that God did in the concentration camp. And at the end of one of those particular services, there was a man who came up to her who was standing at the back. He came up to her. Often she would stand at the front and people would come for prayer and come and, and he 
got within five feet of her and she recognized him. He was one of the guards that stood over her body as she was being beaten and mercilessly treated. She recognized him and, and he said to her, Mrs. Temboom, I'm, I heard your preaching and I was very moved by what you had to say. Do you think God could forgive me? And Corey tells the story as she stood there, hatred rose up within her from, the, from her feet. It started at her feet like a fire burning up her body, getting to her face and anger and rage for everything this man had done to her and her sister and, and the fact that her sister had died at the hands of these people and she was very angry and in, in her heart she said, God, I do not have the forgiveness for this man. I do not have the forgiveness for this man, but would you give me just enough forgiveness for this man? Would you help me? And she said, I felt nothing. I felt nothing. But I reached my hand out to him with anger in my heart, but a prayer on my lips. And as soon as he reached his hand out and they touched, she said there was something that changed, and it started at the tips of her fingers. And it worked its way back through her arm. And she could feel it until it got to her heart. And tears leapt out of her eyes for this man. Because God was able to take her action, not her feeling. If she would have stayed there in that moment, the anger would have remained. But when she took action to touch the man's hand and hold out the man and assure him that yes, God indeed can forgive even the likes of him. God was able to restore her own heart and give her the forgiveness she needed to forgive him. What does it take, church? It takes someone to go. And going doesn't always look the same. It's different. In fact, Jesus said it in a number of different ways. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, he said, Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is here. And how do I announce it? Jesus said, well, you heal the sick, raise the dead, cure with leprosy, cast out demons, give freely as you have received. And in this case, Jesus was talking about some kind of a street ministry. He said, go and announce it. Get on the street and announce it. Pray for the sick in the street. Pray for the, the demon possessed in the street. Pray for the dead in the funeral homes and in the funeral parlors. Go and, and pastor, that sounds pretty extreme. That sounds pretty advanced. I, I'm not sure if I'm ready to do that. That's okay. Jesus gave you another way to go. In, in Matthew 22, verse 8, he said, uh, the wedding feast is ready, so now go out into the street corners and invite everyone you see. So there's go and announce. That's probably the preaching style of going. But then there's go and invite. That's a little different. That's not so much preaching. That's, hey, come and see a man who told me everything that ever was wrong in my life and and." And it's an invitation. It's not a, an announcement like you're there to preach a sermon, but you're there to go and announce that there's a wedding. Whenever you get invited to a wedding, it's usually on a very colorful piece of paper, right? Expensive paper. There's promise of food involved. There's some fun things associated with it. It's a, it's a good thing. So sometimes there, there is the go to announce, the go and preach method. But then there's the go and invite method. And Jesus also gave another way to go. He said, therefore, go and make disciples. This means to teach them. So this means you go to a coffee shop. You sit down with someone. You open up the Bible. And you just begin to talk about the things of God. That's go and teach. 
you see, there's different ways of going. There's going to preach, there's going to invite, and there's going to teach or to talk about the Word of God. What fits your personality bent? Jesus didn't leave you out. There's some way you can go. And then there's the last way. Mark 5, 19, he said, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you. This is probably the easiest way. This is in relation to your family and close friends. You're not called to preach to them. You're not called to, to debate them. The worst thing you can do with your family is debate things of God. Don't debate with them. Don't preach to them. Don't force or compel them. God said, just go tell them. Narrate it in full. Make it plain to them and declare what God has done for you. Make it positive. Make it attracting. Make it something personal because nobody can argue with your personal testimony. Nobody can argue with the moment that God stepped in and grabbed you by the hand and you felt his presence there. Nobody can argue with me when I tell the story of when my dad died and he was, we were in the hospital walking down to see his lifeless body. And I didn't know how I was going to make it through, but as I walked with my wife's hand holding my hand on the other, uh, I felt someone grab my other hand as I walked. And I didn't even look. I thought someone was there with me walking while well, we had family that was with us in the hospital. And I, I looked over to see who it was, and there was nobody there. It was Jesus walking with me down the hallway to see my dad as he lay lifeless of a heart attack in that hospital in Oshawa. Nobody can argue with that story, but it's my testimony. It's what God has done for me. It's where God stepped into my life. And if God will step into my life, I'm sure that God is stepping into your life this morning. You see what I mean? I can go and tell somebody. I can make it plain. I can live it out. But at the end of the day, Paul said there's, there's two groups of people in the church. There's those who plant and there's those who water. And I'm going to close with this this morning. Paul said, I planted the seed in your heart and Apollos watered it. Paul tags on to the illustration Jesus made in his gospels when he talked about going out and preaching about the kingdom. He says it's like a farmer going into the field and throwing seed. And some seed falls on good soil, and some seed falls on not so good soil, and some seed falls on really bad soil. But at the end of the day, the farmer's job is just to throw out the seed. And Paul said, that's what I did. I planted the seed in your heart. I preached to you the word of God. I taught it to you. I planted that seed. And for some of you, that, that is your calling. You are called to be a planter. You're called to tell. You're called to teach. You're called to preach. You're called to invest your life into casting the word of God into the hearts of people. And that, that comes when no farmer goes out into the field and just throws seed out there. What does the farmer do before he throws seed? He plows it. He, he waits for the rains to come to soften the soil. So often those who are tasked with preaching the word spend time in prayer for those they're preaching to because prayer is like the plow that goes into the field before the farmer gets there. The prayer is like the plow. The Bible says that, 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 that God can plow up the fallow ground 
of the hearts of people. And God, prayer gets you into that spirit realm where you pray for that person. God, make them receptive to your word. Take out every weed, every rock, every stone, every hindrance to this Bible study. You take time and you pray. It's like plowing in the field. And then you pray, God, send your spirit. Let your spirit fall like rain on that person. Let them feel your presence. They don't even know what's happening to them, but they'll hear a song and tears will just come to their eyes. When they come to church, they cry uncontrollably. Why? Because the rain is falling on them. There's a spirit of God that's touching their life and softening their heart. And then God, when you get me there, let me plant the right seed. Give me the word to put in their heart. And then I plant the seed. Paul said, that's my job. I planted the seed. But then there's those who come along and care for the seed once it's planted. They water it. You know, I think that watering is the training ground for planting. I love to garden. I love to do plants. And I'm currently taking care of a whole host of different varieties of plants at my house. And my kids love to do it with me. But for those of you that like planting and have kids, you know that a, a flower in the hand of a child is a dangerous thing if you want that flower to live. <laughs> they mean well. They're cute with that little flower in their hand. They're cute with that little seed, but they can crush that thing without even realizing their strength. So often when I'm doing something, my kids are right there with me, and they're touching things. They're lifting the wheelbarrow. Off. Stop, 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 stop. And I'm getting all uh, frantic. Don't put your hand in the fertilizer. No, you cannot eat that. Stop, stop. No. And so when I get to the point where I cannot manage them, I give them a watering can. And I fill it with water. I say, see those flowers over there? They're very thirsty. They need you to go water them. They need, and it's true. The kids will, very happy. Renee loves it. She'll pick up that watering can, and she's very diligent. She'll water the flowers, then she'll water her toes, then she'll water the flowers, then she'll water her dress, and then she'll water the flowers. And I'm happy because she's helping me water and care for the plants that are there but she's she's not yet ready to plant the seed so for those of you this morning here this pastor this is overwhelming i'm not ready to go out there and preach anything to anybody i'm not ready even to tell i i, I hear what you're saying and i want to do what you're call, what god's calling us to do but i don't know exactly that's okay. Get involved in watering first because just like my kids, eventually Jacob's able to plant things now because he started off watering and now he's ready to start planting. Watering the seed is the training grounds for planting the seed. And I'll tell you what I mean. When you preach the word of God, you're planting it. But when you're aiding and helping in the church ministry, you're watering the seed that's been planted. When you're part of the media team, whether you know it or not, you're watering the seed that's going out in the message. When you're part of the photography team, you're part of the watering portion of the seed. When you're part of the social media team or the baptismal team or the in-service announcements or greeting and hospitality, when you're a Sunday school assistant and wiping snotty noses and helping kids set up crafts, what are you doing? I, I'm not really doing anything for the kingdom. Yes, you are. You're watering the seed that's being planted in the heart of that child. When you're helping with community give back projects, you're helping to water the seed of the community and helping to water the ground in the community to soften the hearts of people towards the kingdom of God. When you're part of the gardening team, you're keeping the curb appeal of the church nice so when people get here, they go, oh man, these people need help with their gardens. Man, no. You're part of that team. What is it? It's watering. 
It's watering. Paul said, some water and some plant, but God is the one who gives the increase. When you're part of the prayer team or even the cleaning team or even the decorating team, there is something for you to do. There's a a ministry for you to be involved in that can help you and grow you to the place where you can begin to teach your own Bible study and preach your own message uh, and stand on the street corner and pray for the sick uh, and, and touch the lives of people that are in need. Why do I sign up for something? Why do I get involved in something when my life is already packed full I need to be a part of the kingdom of God you need to be a part of the kingdom of God what is being part of the kingdom of God also mean it means that you get to rub shoulders with other people who are on that team you get to rub shoulders with other people who are part of that group that's reaching out that's watering that's touching that's blessing the lives of others you need others and others need you When you sign up for a team, don't worry, you're not signing your life away. We have two tables at the back with all these teams that I mentioned. You're not signing your life away by by putting your name down to be a part of that team. Don't worry. Your your schedule is respected and your availability is, is paramount and part of every one of those teams. It's okay if you're not able to start right away or if you want to start slow. But, but I urge you, don't leave today without putting your name down for something. There is something for every single person to do. Some teams are, have more commitment than others. Some teams have very low commitment. Why? We're, we're creating a space for everybody to get involved in the planting and the watering of what God is trying to do in this city. God is trying to reach this city. There's people in this city that are homeless that need to be reached. There's people that I've watched shoot up with needles on the streets of Ajax. I've watched people in this city that are hurting, that are, that are going through trials, that are going through hardships. I've watched families break up within our school. Even they, the, the, the parents uh, that come to our school, the school sometimes send out uh, a notice to the bus drivers. I'm a bus driver. I drive school bus. And sometimes I get a notice, and I get a notice custody change for this child. Parent one this day, parent two that day. And my heart goes, there's some, there's a child caught in the middle of something that, that's hard and difficult and, and painful. And God wants to reach them. God wants to help them. God wants to pull that family back together. God can do a work in that situation. And what is the agency that God is going to work through? It's his hands and his feet, i.e. the church. There is a people to reach. There's families to touch. There's homes to bless. There's there's somebody that's alone in a nursing home here in Ajax that has nobody visiting them. Nobody. I mean nobody visiting them. And when they get sick, just so you know, what happens in the nursing home, they have to stay in their room. They have to eat in their room. They can't even see their friends on the same floor. They are alone by themselves. There are people in this city that are hurting that need the church. How do, I, how do I even begin to help those ministries, Pastor? You get involved in the prayer team and just pray for the needs that come across your cell phone. You get involved in the media team. You, if you're good at computers, you learn how to put the scriptures up here so it's easy for everyone else to follow along with the words and the music on a Sunday. You get involved in the maintenance team. Help repair a light when it's broken. Help, help fix something when it's, when it's broken down. You get a part of something. You become part of the planting or the watering, and you go. You go and be part of the community. 
This week I had the privilege. My son, I'm closing with this story. I don't keep saying I'm closing. But I wanted to share this with you because it impacted me so much. My son's class, their whole school went to Jay Clark this week to watch the high school put on the production called Frozen. Originally they had a bus lined up. <clears throat> we got the notice from the teacher late last week or the week before. The bus company canceled and we can't, we can't bus the kindergarten and grade one kids. They're going to have to walk from Lester B. Pearson to Jay Clark, which is, that's a good walk for a three and a half to six-year-old kids. That's a long walk from Lester B. Pearson to Jay Clark High School. And I drive school bus part-time and I'm occasionally available. I fill in for a lot of drivers who are sick and I called the teacher and I said, hey, uh, did you try stock transportation, my bus company? And they said, yes, they have no buses available. I said, well, I'm available that day during the time that you're going. I'll put my name in for the charter, call them back, and reactivate the charter and see if they'll make it work. And it did. And, and so the, the teacher sent out the message to all the parents, yay, thank you, Mr. Bryson, for driving our school bus. We don't have to walk anymore. The kindergarten kids can go to the play. Hooray, hooray, they were really excited. So I pull up to the school in the bus, and I had to do a couple shuttles, and there was a host of kindergarten kids in the pen, and they all cheered as they, the bus pulled up. Yay, it's the bus! They didn't have any clue. They were just excited to see a big yellow bus. And, and I learned that one of the kindergarten kids in that class is a kid on our street. His name's Timothy. And uh, so to a lot of those kids, I was Timothy's neighbor. Hi, Timothy's neighbor! Hi, Mr. Timothy's neighbor. To some kids, I was just the bus driver. Hi, bus driver. And then there's a, a family that we take care of in the morning. Uh, their names are Olivia and William. And they come to our house every morning. We walk them to school. And um, so uh, Olivia was in the other kindergarten class. So everybody, to everybody in her class, I was, hi, Olivia's friend. Hi, Olivia's friend. And they're all getting on the bus. Hi, Olivia's friend. And Olivia's like, this is my friend. This is my friend. He's driving the bus. And they were all very excited. And, and then the teachers got on the bus. And they're, you're the savior. I was like, well, I, I, let's not take it too far, OK? Like, but she was Jewish, and I didn't want to argue with her. So I just said, oh, yeah, no problem. And she's like, no, really? You were the savior. You, we, would have, I, we wouldn't have been able to go. And we're so thankful you were available to take this bus. So to the teachers, I was to the savior. To some of the kids, I was Timothy's neighbors. To the other kids, I was, I was uh, uh, um, <clears throat> Olivia's friend. And then to Zach's class, I was, hi, Zachary's dad. Hi, Jacob's dad. I was, and then there was two kids on that bus route. They were the only two kids who gave me a hug and a kiss. And they were my kids, Jacob and Zachary. I was something to everybody on that bus without even trying. To some, I was just Timothy's neighbor. To some, I was Olivia's friend. To some, I was the savior of the teachers. To some, I was dad. But I was something to everybody on that bus. And my question is, who are you to the people in your life? And you don't realize it, but you are something to everybody around you. You are something to everybody without even trying. All I had to do, I got paid. For, I did not volunteer my time. I got paid to do what I did. But I was something to everybody without even trying to be. 
I wonder what God could do through us if we took that something that we were to everybody and added a bit of this go mission in the mix. I wonder if we added to that something that we already have, that connection to people around us, and if we added on to that what God has called us to do. Can we stand this morning? At the back, there's two tables. There's 13 different teams you can join today. And I'd love to see everybody's name on one of those papers before you leave here today. Take some time. Take one home with you. There's extra copies of some of those job descriptions there. We laid it very clear out to you what your time commitment's going to be, what the job description is going to be. You know exactly what you're signing up for. There's no bait and switch, okay? And after you sign your name to one of those papers, go in there and, and eat one of the Father's Day muffins that, the, the, that Isiana brought to us today. Thank you for uh, her inspiration to get some nice little treat for us. But, but let's go. Let us go into the world and preach that gospel. Let's go be a waterer, be a planter, be something to somebody today. Normally I close with music and, and prayer time, but I think it's best to leave this in your heart the way it is. And your altar call is not at the front this morning, it's at the back. Your place, this is a go service. And this, these tables will be up for three weeks. We'll leave them out for a few weeks. And these are the, this is your incentive. This is your incentive. These tables will be up for two weeks. And we're just going to pray a prayer right now and ask God to help us. Because we want to be a church that goes. Can we lift our voice and our hands to the Lord and pray and ask God to help us? Jesus, in your name, we want to be a church that goes. We want to be part of this dream team, God, part of your dream for this city. We want to be part of the team that reaches this city for your, for your name and for your glory, God. And, and each one of these people here today means something to somebody. They have a gift to, to give to your kingdom. They have a, a talent to use for your glory. God, I pray, pray that you place your hand upon them. And put inspiration in their heart and their mind today, God. That they can be part of something bigger than themselves. They can be part of something greater than themselves. Because when they invest in your kingdom, they're investing in people's eternity. We're not just talking about somebody's life getting better here on earth. But we're talking about people's lives being forever changed for eternity. When this life is over and we stand before you, Lord, we're going to be part of people being invested in your kingdom forever and ever eternally secured in your love in Jesus name place that burden in our hearts place that mission in our heart this morning in Jesus name in Jesus name for all the dads before you leave and all the 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 men in the church grab one of those barbecue slash hot sauce bottles on your way out it's our little gift to you Father's Day gift God bless you this morning sign one of those forms on your way out and uh Meet us in the lobby for some treats. Have a great Father's Day.